and welcome to Stepping Out. True stories from those who have triumphed over adversity and found their way back. And now, Stepping Out. Welcome to Stepping Out. I'm Denise McEntee, your host, where on every show we feature true stories of people that have triumphed over all sorts of adversity in their lives, whether it's issues with substance abuse or it could be depression, PTSD, or you could be the loved one of somebody who's struggling. And that's who we have here on the show. And she's an incredible person, incredible author. Wait till you hear her story. If you're a parent and your uh, child is struggling, you're definitely going to want to hear this. Or even if your child isn't struggling, you're going to want to know because so many of us think, oh, well, it can never happen to me. And when you hear what her daughter was like, she thought the same thing. So I want to welcome to Stepping Out Maureen Cavanaugh. She's the founder of Magnolia New Beginnings, which is a nonprofit, and she's going to talk about what Magnolia New Beginnings does. But she's also the author of a riveting, inspirational book that I read in one sitting. And if you've listened to this show, you know I read lots of books, but this one was just incredible. It's called If You Love Me, A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Addiction. And if you want to check out Maureen and the book and all the things that she does to help, I would really get a pen and write this down. So her uh, (laughs) website is www.maureencavanaugh.net. And I'll spell Maureen Kavanaugh, M-A-U-R-E-E-N-C-A-V-A-N-A-G-H dot net. So I know that was a long open, but it's a special one because you're a special person. So Maureen, welcome to Stepping Out Radio. Thank you so much. I appreciate your kind work. No, and it's the truth. And um, anyway, wow. Um, Like I said, we were just talking off the air and your book is riveting. It could be a movie. It could be... It should be in all the schools. It should be given to all parents. But anyway, I'll let you do the talking. So on Stepping Out, we begin at the beginning. So what was the beginning of of how these issues started in for yourself and in your family? And even if it started before your daughter was born, if you want to share that with us as well. Oh, yeah. I, I always say my first experience with addiction was in utero because <laughs> um, <laughs> my mother drank while she was pregnant and um, but had a very bad um, had a very serious problem with alcohol, as did everyone in the family. Mm-hmm. So I, when I look at my family, I think, well, there's one or two people that I think weren't addicted to a drug, but they were addicted to food. Or they were, it was something else. So there's addiction on both sides of my family. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, I, it always had had some kind of impact because I grew up in it. And um, that my answer to that was it was never going to affect my children. So I moved as far as far away from all family and had as little to do with them as possible without completely turning my back on them. Right. And um, then tried to raise my children in uh, an atmosphere that did not, you know, did not have drugs and alcohol in it. Now, did you drink at all, or you just never? Did I drink socially. You know, right. I just I thought I thought I was smarter and stronger than everybody else. When I realized, when I saw my daughter going through this, I realized I was just luckier. Right. You know, it was it was not anything to do with with me. I, I definitely... You didn't you know, have the disease. The Absolutely not. No. Right. So you, you had um, children, and you raised them, and when you say, I wasn't going to let that happen, you mean like you were more present for them than your parents were, I guess, and you didn't drink around oh, them, well, or didn't drink? I mean... I was taken away from my parents when I was 15, so I definitely, you know, they had a whole different life than I did, but 
and of course, you know, there's things that happen in life and that are imperfect. But I think that even those things were handled pretty well. But um, you know, we, I was divorced, and um, but her, you know, Katie's father and I are the best of friends. So even those like tragic things are, were handled well. I thought I really thought there was something I could do to to, to make this not happen. And well, let's backtrack a little. So tell us. Um, so you have four children all together, and you're. The one that had the issue was was your daughter Katie. That's so she's the, she's the third. So can you bring us and tell us a little background about Katie and maybe how it started for Katie? So Katie would, I mean, you know, had I been like stepping back and knowing what I know now, I would have said, yeah, Katie was the one I I should be watching. But had I knowing what not knowing what I know now, I looked at my children. I thought. One was a little wilder, one was a risk taker, one was kind of, and those were the children that, you know, that I thought, well, I've got to keep my eye on them. And then they got through fine, and I was like, okay, I'm home free, because the second two, you know, the, the, the third and the fourth were, like, just a breeze. <laughs> Katie was the most, um, uh, she just was so easy and, uh, and, and agreeable and pleasant and sang in the church choir when she was little and wanted to be a teacher like her mother and was like just so kind and empathetic and you know I figured that this was this was not going to be a problem when she started to hit it her teenage years I was like her best friend and she was my I mean it was we had this great relationship and sure. but she was the one and that's the one that I that's the kids that I see because I work in a recovery high school part-time now and I look at these kids and they are the most empathetic, the kindest, the gentlest, the ones that don't seem to be born with that hard outer shell. They're not the rebels so, either, right? Is, is no, that true? No. Yeah, they're not the rebels, but people I mean, would think they are. sometimes they act out later on, but at their core, that's who they are. Right. They and, act out from the drugs right. and the addiction. And, and this was Katie. She was just everything, like the world bothered her, you mm-hmm. know, that somebody didn't have what she had. That bothered her. The, the the you know and you think that that was what a beautiful person this is going to be but also this is the kind of people that have a hard time dealing with the world they're sensitive sure they're too so sensitive that's, yeah that's kind of who Katie always always was still is and um, when she start, first her um, issues first started with food and um, she. Um, with anorexia, mm-hmm. and we jumped right on that and tried to, okay, well, everybody's got problems, let's get on this, and we found the right person. And, and how old was she? Was... I'm sorry for interrupting, Maureen, but how no, old was she okay. when she had, uh, when you when she was first diagnosed with anorexia? She was about 15. Mm-hmm. So just as she started to become a teenager and she started to, you know, trying to fit in, she wants to be perfect, like this, perfect, right. you know, looking at the magazines and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So she then she started to like really fixate on how much she weighed and what she looked like. And so that was, I guess, that was the first bit of trouble mm-hmm. um, that she began to have. And she, we seemed, I thought we were getting, you know, we had that under control. And notice how much I'm saying we, because I was so enmeshed in her that I really did feel like all her struggles were our struggles. Right. And if and, you read the book, um, If You Love Me by Maureen Kavanaugh, you'll, you'll put yourself right in her shoes because as parents, especially moms, <laughs> that's what we do, right? All of us. Yeah. Most I mean, of us. And she, was, she was an independent kid. She worked, she volunteered, she, 
had um, a car that she made payments on. Every, you know what I mean? So it's not like I was this crazy, like, helicopter controlling, I want to, you know, like, a give her everything kind of parent. I wasn't. It's just that we really were very close. I really liked her. And I think, you know, she would say the same about me. So we didn't have that typical difficult mother-daughter thing that a lot of people go through. I never went through that with her. Right. It was always pleasant and loving. But now what happened with the anorexia? So it started at 15. Like you said, you jumped on it real quick. And what kind of help did she get for that? We found somebody who specialized in in counseling and in anorexia and and eating disorders. So she went to see her, and it seemed like she was doing better Mm -hmm. and um, getting kind of – she was getting some control over it. And then um, to find out that she had started to do drugs, and I didn't know about that. At 15 or a little bit older? Older than that. Mm -hmm. um, Smoked pot and drink. It wasn't serious drugs until around the time she left for college. Right. Now, at that time, like when she was smoking pot and drinking, and again, there's always, you know, talk on this show and in everyday life, like, oh, well, that's what kids do. You know, they smoke, they pot, maybe they drink, they even do it in college. But but did you suspect like, oh, but Katie's doing it a little more? Or like you said, you really didn't see that, right? No, she got she got caught once drinking with her friends. And it was because she called me and told me that, one of, they were drinking, they were like about, I must have been about 16 or so. They were drinking in, in, at a party, and one of the girls was really sick, and she called me. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, the girl got help, and she, you know, she had to go to the hospital. Katie, I brought home, and uh, the next day, her father came over and talked to her. Her brother came over and talked to her. Mm-hmm. I talked to her, and she was punished to the moon. Like, she was, like, in trouble. Right. The other girl who went to the hospital, mind you, got no, there were no repercussions at all. Right. So I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing. I mean, we did, that wasn't my, my feeling wasn't everybody does it. I was like, this is not okay. You're not, this is not, look at our background, look at the addiction in the family. This is not okay for you to be doing at this age and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I went on and on about about how she shouldn't be doing this because I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. Right. And um, so that was it. I mean, I never found out that she was smoking pot or drinking or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she got it because it seemed like she got it. Right. And then she went right back to being, the, you know, the nice, great kid that she Right. And by this point, was her um, anorexia, her eating disorders were leveling, getting better? or? It was, it was so, I was so concerned about it. So right. that was more of my concern was that. Sure. You know, I wasn't really seeing any evidence of drinking or, or anything like that or, or smoking pot. So I was really more concerned about the, the eating. And, um, you know, she was still going to, tr- to therapy and um, it seemed okay when she went off to college. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it wasn't. And she eventually came to me and said, Mom, that she had been, ex- um, been experimenting with drugs. I, and I tried heroin, and I almost had a heart attack. Oh. And she said that, she goes, and I'm, I'm worried. She goes, that I feel like I've been drinking too much, and, and this is a way at college, and I, I think I need some help. So I immediately brought it to the um, emergency room because I didn't know what else to do. You right. know, I didn't what did you do? Brought it to the emergency room. They tested her. They talked to her. They took her in the back. They recommended an outpatient program because they didn't think that it hurt disease had progressed to the point of needing inpatient, which probably wasn't true at that point, but I was, you know. Right. We're, we're in the dark. That's why I'm glad we have you on the show. So, (laughs) 
So you saw, so she left school, I'm assuming, right? Right. Okay. Well, so she, she finished up. She finished up that year and okay. then did not wind up going back away. Mm-hmm. She stayed home for the for the following semester. Okay. But here I am now thinking, well, if uh, and, and now she goes through this program, and I think she's doing well, and I think she's got everything. It seems to me that she's got everything under control. Mm-hmm. It never would have occurred to me to drug test her myself because I'm thinking that, well, if she came to me, obviously if she was having problems, she would come to me again. Right. But that fortunately wasn't true. Did they drug test them there, though, or no? I, You know, it was one of these things where I... Because I wonder if the outpatient... It, 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 it's a HIPAA placing. violation. They didn't tell me. They might have oh, been drug testing. Oh, okay. Her. It's a HIPAA. But, yeah. Yeah. So it was... And I don't... I didn't know my own rights. I didn't know what to ask for. I didn't even... Now I would say, you're living in my house. I want to see results of a drug test. Right. But I didn't know that then. I was like, well, she's such a good girl, and of course she'll tell me. I mean, and this is a disease where... This is... That's the most important thing. If there's somebody out there listening to this that thinks... You know, well, that'll never happen because, you know, this sounds like my daughter, but my daughter would never do that. There's, when they're in the middle of doing this, they they're, they feel like they have to protect, protect the, their youth. So they will lie to you. Even if they never lied to you before, they start to lie to you. And it's our responsibility to not try so hard to be friends and not to, you know, to be so worried about whether we're going to hurt their feelings or not. Or, quote, understand what they're going through, maybe dive in, right? Right. 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 But, you you know, but, okay, but you didn't because, you know, what do they say? You do better when you know better. And, boy. Right, I didn't. I really honestly didn't think I had to. And she proved to me that I didn't have to by coming to me and telling me that that she, you know, had tried this and she she was scared and worried and she needed... I mean, so it reinforced that idea that she would come to me. Sure. And un- unfortunately, for both of us, that that was not true. And she then continued, got went through the outpatient program, got out, and went on to um, you know, use more, and then eventually started to use an IV heroin. You know, started shooting up, mm-hmm. and that's when things got really bad. And at this age, she's what twenty, twenty-ish. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so, and she's home at this time. She was home, and then it's when it. By the time it had gotten really bad, she had moved out, and she was living with a boyfriend. Okay, and he was using. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Well, he was. I read that in yeah. the book. Yeah, he was. He was using too. So, so that's where the real hard times kicked in for you, right? I mean, and right. again, when you read this book, I'm talking to Maureen Cavanaugh, the author of the book, and get it. It's even if even if your child doesn't have this issue, uh, it's important to it's in a great important read because you never know and 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 it's hard to explain in a 25-minute interview, but if you it, uh, Maureen's doing a great job of it. Katie is was not someone you would ever think. And even through all of the issues when she was struggling, she was her kindness and niceness still came through. Like she didn't it's, want to yeah. be hurting anybody, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, okay, so she moves out with her boyfriend. And are you in touch with her at this point? Are you hopeful, or or, or is it? I was. It was. I didn't really realize what was going on. You mm-hmm. know, I figured she's busy. She's going to school, which she was. Right. She was going to school. She's got a boyfriend. She's working. She's busy. She would call me almost every day and, um, you know, or text me if she wasn't calling me. Um, so I'm just thinking, well, this is what normal pulling away looks like. 
Right. I don't know that she's doing drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is just like, this is normal. You're, you have a 20-year-old, they're not going to be, you know, with you all the time. And so to call you it, every day is big, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And, you know, and she really did. She called, we were in touch every day in some way. Mm-hmm. So it was still like that. That never changed. She'd just text me a quick, I love you. And I'd say, I love you too. And I think, well, this is okay. This is, she seems to be doing okay. Right. Yeah. Until she wasn't. <laughs> until, until yeah, then. I what? Oh, so what happened next? Well, I mean, you know, then it got, it, it's, it's when it got so bad that I, um, you know, that, she wound up robbing the house mm-hmm. and um, with her boyfriend and um, selling everything that, you know, had any, any value when I was away for a weekend. But um, then I realized, I don't know why I knew it was her. I don't know why it all clicked into place. But at that point, it must have been, you know, they, I must have known on some level that something wasn't right. right. And when that, when that happened... Because it was things that were hidden that only she knew where they were. Okay. When I saw them gone, I knew that, that it had been her. Mm-hmm. And that's when we the whole odyssey of in and out of treatment started. And um, I had no idea what was ahead of me. Thank God, because I don't know what I would have done if I would have known I had years of that ahead of me. Yes. But um, it's, that's when it all it became very clear. And you think about it, I, like I look back now and I think, my God, you were so stupid. How could you not have seen this, that, and the other thing? But I didn't. Because no, when not. you look right. at your child, you're looking at the seven-year-old that played soccer. You're looking at the girl that played, had the little tea party. You know what I mean? I'm not looking at somebody that could potentially rob me, and I'm not looking at that. Cause that's well, especially not she had the other personality traits of, you know, some kids, let's face it, they're barracudas. They're, it's just their personality. They're, right. you know, they're going to get what they want. They're a little manipulative. She, It's even more staggering, and you wouldn't think it because of, of her. You know, of her, right. of her essence of who she was and still And is. I'm finding that that's more typical. Right. Than, than the other, the other, those other kids are resilient. They're, they, they don't, they don't, a lot, most of them don't fall prey to this they're, because they're tougher than, than that. And right. They, and they're more self-involved. They don't want to hurt themselves. Interesting. It's the other kids that right. wind up doing Right. So when you noticed at that critical moment that all your stuff was stolen and the gig was up, so to speak, did you reach out to her right away? Like, what happened next? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew right away. And when I called, she she was almost relieved that I knew because she knew I'd find out eventually. It was just time was ticking when I would actually notice that these things were gone. Mm. And um, and then she came clean with everything and uh, told me how bad it was. Mm. But when she and I told her to come to the house and her father came over, and when we told her, you're going to treatment, that's when she then she was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Oh, yes, you are. Right. You're either going to treatment or you're going to jail, one or the other. And um, so that's that was the first um, adventure into treatment. Oh, so she had to go because she knew you would get the authorities involved. Right. Because you needed to, to get her help. So she goes to treatment. Is this outpatient or in? or? This one was inpatient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had to go to detox, and um, then she had to go to inpatient treatment and um went off to so a, a really good sober living that was very very expensive and i figured you know let's just do this the first time right you know we'll, we'll, i spent the whole time that she was in in treatment looking into what's the best sober living afterwards and mm-hmm. i told her she couldn't come home for six months but mm-hmm. that i would pay for the um 
sober living, but she couldn't come home until she had six months of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I think she lasted about a day and a half there and then took off, and then I didn't know where she was. Well, she probably, um, I'm assuming, and again, I read the book, but this part I don't remember. I'm assuming she's back with her boyfriend, too, who didn't stop, right? At that, yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. Um, okay, so she leaves. You didn't know where she was and I'm assuming she resurfaced because I know she, she did. <laughs> so what happened next? Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I'd say I didn't know where she was, but she still, she still kept in touch and let me know she was okay. Mm-hmm. Because as much, it, which sounds crazy because you would think, you know, this is, and this is like another thing now that I tell people, <clears throat> it's got nothing to do with how much this person loves you ever. You know, it's, it's not, not part of the equation. Their brain has been tripped. Like something has has gone off, and they think that they need to do this. They cannot see their way out of this. Right. It has nothing to had never had anything to do with how much she loved her family, how much she loved me, how much you know. It had nothing to do with that. No, and it's and clear. Excuse me. It's very clear in the book, and you also yeah. wrote about how you obsessed about checking if she you know, posted something on Facebook. Okay, she posted oh something God. an hour ago. That means she's okay. And I mean, you really went through hell. I mean, absolute hell. Well, it was hell. every moment, every waking moment, wondering whether she was alive because this, uh, you know, this is somebody who eventually will have overdosed 13 times that brought her to the hospital. Mm. And probably more than twice that many that just, that, you know, somebody was there and was able to Narcan her. Mm. So her life was, she was like was hanging between life and death the whole time that she was going through this. Right. Oh, it's it's it's. Horrible. And I knew that. You know, that's where I mean, that's where the title of the book comes from. If you love me, it's always you know we say these things to our children all the time, even when they're little. Well, if you love me, you'd be good. You know, right. it's a terrible thing to say, but we it's, it's you know I'm sure it's coming come out of some of our mouths. Right, and, and the kids say it back too. <laughs> Absolutely. So, if you love me, you'd let me go out with my friends right. because you're ruining my life. Right. <laughs> I love the title because it's it's we all can right. relate to that. But we if you all love me. say that, but it comes. The title of the book actually comes from one night, and this is years later. Which, like I said, if I had known, I was going to have to go through this for years. And I hear people that have gone through it twice as long as I do, but I had. But I I don't know what I would have done because I the thought of having to do this for for six weeks was was unimaginable when this all first happened. But this is after many years of, of going through this with her. Um, she came home having relapsed yet again mm. and um, having come out of a treatment center that she was doing good. She took off, relapsed, and some sober friends brought her home at about 3 o'clock in the morning, and she was sitting on my kitchen floor um, broken, absolutely mm. broken, and just hated herself, hated her life, didn't know how to could not her brain could not figure out how to stop this right and um i was so tired too and i looked at her and i said honey i love you so much and you're gonna die Mm. and she looked up at me and she said if you love me you'd let me die i know and that's the that's the pain of this you know and i don't think that until that moment i thought i knew what she was going through but i didn't you know there's no way i could have but I really, I she's actually something. strong, so strong that she didn't die, you know, because, yeah. but anyway, we believe it or not, I could talk to you for another 10 hours, but we only have about five minutes left. So the recovery story, and, and I, I also, as de- devastating this story is, I want to impart to the audience that there's hope. So 
you know, there's always it's there's always it's, hope. It's what and happened to Maureen I, and Katie is is horrible, but now I want to hear the good part about how things started to shift and how I think your first start with shifting was when you went to a parents meeting and somebody hugged yeah. you. And um, like, again, like I said, we only have three minutes left. So I want to yeah. hear the, the good, the good news so we can well, give the audience hope. I'm, I, I'm a big fan of you don't give up hope until you don't have any other choice. So while she was breathing, I was going to believe that she could get well, and I never gave up on her. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't tell her I love her, and she'd tell me that she loved me back. Mm -hmm. But I really felt it important to help other people, and that's where Magnolia New Beginnings comes in. We're a support group online on Facebook that has over 20,000 members across the country, and it's all peers. Nobody's selling anything. It's all free, supporting each other and giving each other information and encouragement and, and hoping and being that like that source of hope when it seems like it's impossible. And how can they get on that site? Cause that's so, and again, even if you think your child doesn't have it, you might, you might want to take a peek at it cause there are signs, but anyway, how do they get to that? They go to, they can go to magnolianewbeginnings.org and their support support groups are all listed under, under on, the, on that site. They can contact me directly at maureencavanaugh.net. And um, and I'm happy to point people in the right direction. I'm also now moved on to doing some recovery coaching for parents, which um, we need that. You know, we need somebody to help us, Absolutely. help guide us, you know, in, in the middle of this. And what you started, I mean, Maureen's also not telling you that her tireless work gets, she finds out if there's a bed for people, she works with and helps them get insurance. And I don't want to give you more work, but I'm just saying when I read your book no, too, like we, we raised, the selfless we raised things that you've done. And she's a nonprofit. And if your child has gone through anything, if you'd like to donate, um, <laughs> it, the funds go towards helping kids get beds and get, and get yeah. help. So what 100%. is Katie's life like in the last minute we have and your life like now? Katie's amazing. Katie has almost two years of sobriety. Yay. She's working, going to school. She's engaged. She's oh been God, getting great. married in September of 2020. She's Beautiful. my buddy, um, and I, I think she's my hero. But I think she's the most amazing person in the whole world. Oh, and when you read the story, she is. And she's... Not that looks matter, but she's just stunningly beautiful inside and out. So, um, so you have a best friend. She's getting married. And what is your life like now? I mean... The, the great news is you bonded with your daughter again. Um, yeah. It's all your work I mean, that you do. Well, um, you know what? It's all about making lemonade, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of very negative, very awful things happened. And I really feel like it's not a waste if I can do something good with it. And that's what I've been trying to do in a lot of different ways. Oh, and boy, audience, has she done it? I mean, her <laughs> her text is constantly going off. You help so many people. So again, I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to give out your website again, MaureenCavanaugh.net, M-A-U-R-E-E-N-C-A-V-A-N-A-G-H.net. She's the author, and get this book, and get it for Mother's Day, (laughs) get it for Father's Day. (laughs) It's called, because it's a love story, also, If You Love Me, A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Opioid Addiction. I'm Denise McEntee, your host of Stepping Out. If you'd like to hear more stories on our website, there's so many more stories positive, hopeful stories. They might seem like scary in the beginning, but there's so much hope out there and that's what we want to impart. And we also want to impart on this show destigmatization. It's, it's not, it shouldn't be stigmatized, uh, substance abuse, uh, as a disease or mental health issues. So go to our website at www 
www.steppinoutradio, S-T-E-P-P-I-N-O-U-T-R-A-D-I-O.com. Okay, everybody, we'll see you next time when we go Stepping Out. And Maureen, thank you again so much. You're listening to Steppin' Out. The views expressed by show hosts or their guests are their own and shall not be construed in any way as advice from Empowering Productions, Inc. We encourage you to seek professional advice or care for any problem you may have.